0: Well, good morning, everyone. Glorious day. Glorious. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Again, we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus. We come to this section known as the Sermon on the Mount. Location would be right there on the shores of of Galilee, uh, around the area of Capernaum. Uh, it says that he w- he went up to a mountain. I don't think there's n- there's no there's no mountains in Israel. So it's just a, a large hill. It's a na- a natural amphitheater, and so the um, the voice of Jesus would carry. It tells us that prior to this, that um, a large crowd, a huge crowd, was following him, came to him from all different directions, probably within a a 100-mile radius, north-south, all the way from beyond the Jordan. So many people were pressing upon him that it even became somewhat dangerous, where he would have to get into a boat and leave. After he had left that area, he has about 120, uh, roughly around 120 people following him. But then he names his disciples. And he calls his disciples aside and then he gives them this beautiful sermon. We looked at the Beatitudes last week. And um, it's important because literally that established... That establishes his sermon, his, the context of his sermon. So when we read the rest of the sermon, which will probably take us a couple more weeks, actually, to get through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we will keep going back to the first 12 verses, looking at the Beatitudes, because that, that's what it's all about. You know, the blessed ours, you know, or oh, how happy you are. There's a more literal translation there. We had left off at verse 12. Let's pick it up at verse 13, where the Lord says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trotted under the foot of man. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put under and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven." For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said, uh, you have heard it that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Racha shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thy fool, you shall be in danger of hell fire. And therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother has aught against you, leave there the gift before the altar, go your way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with your adversary quickly, while thou art in the way with him, lest, it, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and then the judge deliver you to the officer, and you will be cast in pres- prison. Verily I say unto you, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Let's just stay stop there and stand and let's pray together over the word, Father God, again, we thank you for the word of God, and Lord, we're very conscious of the the most important fact for a time such as this to make the appeal to the Holy Spirit, please come, be our instructor, show us to how to to apply this collectively as a church body or individually as a son or a daughter of God. We know, Lord, that your word has been esteemed even above your name. We know it's something that is holy and sacred. And, Lord, the way you look at your word, we would never enter into it uh, without due consideration the Holy Spirit of God teaching us today. So we do. We ask again for your anointing for your spirit to lead us and to guide us and that again that it would be in our hearts not just in our minds that we would be able to allow it to transform us more and more into your image so again we are so mindful of our need for you holy spirit it's in jesus name we pray and we said all together amen amen thank you The Sermon on the Mount. We can read this over and over and over. But there is a danger here. Well there's a danger whenever we find one of our favorite verses and then we keep reading and re- that we become so familiar with it that it loses the importance it loses the power the punch that it should have in the lives of his sons and daughters We are in his kingdom we're not in heaven yet. I, you all know that, right? But we are in his kingdom. Wherever the Holy Spirit is moving, wherever he's active, the kingdom of God, as Jesus would say, and even John the Baptist would say, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning that God is doing something. And every time the Holy Spirit then enlightens you or opens your eyes to the scripture and your heart begins to stir, God's at work. The kingdom of God is at hand. I throw that out as as a warning to be careful with the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I know I get to do this. I, I get to sit back and pray and ask God to open my eyes. What is it you want to say to the church as it relates to this glorious sermon, a discourse of Jesus, one of the longest ones? What is it you want to say to Calvary Chapel, South Jersey today? And um, and every time I do make that appeal, it's as if I've never read this section of scripture before. Somehow, when we allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the word, it's just like it's brand new. How many have ever experienced that? Even with the most, you know, I don't want to call it elementary or some of the most childlike verses like John three sixteen. But there are times where we start to think about, for God so loved the world. And you just have one of those moments with him. Have you ever experienced that with him? The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. To think that this is how a, a believer stays happy. This is how a son of God or a daughter of God stays blessed through the remaining part of his life, the remainder of his life. He, you know, he is just, you ask this guy and you say, why is it you're just so full of joy today and you're so happy? And, and if he takes his time and thinks about it, it's because, well, I just, I know the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes has given me an attitude. And I am a happy believer today. Last week we were talking about poor in spirit and they that mourn and they that are meek and they that are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We talked about the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemaker. And we said these are things that should be active in our lives and this should be a part of our lives. This should be at the attitude of us you think about that. All of us want to be a part of his kingdom now and most surely when we're finally in the kingdom of heaven with him. How do we get there? How do we enjoy that? And I'm just not saying that you know, there's just one way to achieve happiness or to achieve joy or a blessedness. There's many ways throughout the Scriptures. But as it relates to this sermon, it's the person who is poor in spirit. Well, again, what's poor in spirit? Now, listen, there's a ton of sermons that are out there that say to be poor in spirit is a person who recognizes his poverty spiritually. That he has nothing to offer. That he's broke. He's bankrupt. He's bankrupt. Chapter 11, man. And it's true. But it also, as Linsky and some of the old forefathers of church history would say, but it's referring to a person who is humble. You have to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord in, in order to acknowledge your need for a Savior. Pride keeps a lot of people out of the kingdom of God. But when you humble yourself and you're, you tell the Lord, hey, I am a sinner and I am need in need of a Savior that's poor in spirit. And when you recognize that, you know, you're not prideful about it. You begin to mourn over it. You, you really do. You understand who you are in your depravity, who you are. You have nothing to offer the kingdom of God. And when one recognizes that he's poor and that he's mourning over his condition, he is then happy. Well, that doesn't make sense. It's almost like an oxymoron. Yeah, but that's a, a, the kingdom works that way, doesn't it? You know, if, if you want to be great, become the least. If you want to be strong, become weak. If you want to be happy, be poor in spirit. If you want to be blessed, mourn over your condition. And then you will recognize not only are you a part of the kingdom of God, but it brings in such great comfort. I'll be honest with you, I'm pretty comforted knowing that I have nothing to offer. To them. Can you imagine the gymnastic, the struggle, the wrestling week in, week out when you think the opposite of this? That if, when you think that if I want to be a part of the kingdom of God, then I got to work and earn my way in there. Imagine living by that rule. How frustrating it would be. You know, knowing deep down in your heart, there's no way you're ever going to... You know, earn any place within the kingdom. You can't earn anything. And if you really are hungering and thirsting after the right way or the right oneness, we explained this last week. It's almost like I'm giving you last week's sermon again, isn't it? Uh, I better stop this. But think about it. How many were here last week? Would you raise your hand? Oh, God bless you guys. Well, this is probably just kind of recapping it then. But if when we hunger and we thirst after, as Damien Kyle puts it, the right onness of God, then that's when you begin to just enjoy, you know, the um, the kingdom, and then you know you'll feel like a sense of fulfillment within your in your lives. We look at this sermon, chapter five here, and uh, of course the first twelve verses deals with the beatitudes. But these are the subjects that we're going to cover in the next couple weeks. We're going to talk about salt and light. We'll talk about that today. We're going to talk about the law and the way God and his son views the law. We're going to talk about anger. Nobody deals with anger here, do you? Can we skip that one? How many of you guys have a problem with anger? Would you raise your hand? Oh boy. There's some questions you don't raise your hands on, guys. Just <laughs> FYI, you know. I know you trust me, but, you know, like if I asked how many of you guys were angry at your wife this morning, you would know none of you would raise your hand, you know. (laughs) There's got to be one. (laughs) But we're going to talk about anger, adultery. You think it's not a big deal? It is today, especially today. Um, We're going to talk about divorce, making a vow. ...an unnecessary promise. We're going to talk about vengeance. We're going to talk about loving your enemy. Chapter 6 talks about how we're to give. Chapter 6 also deals with how we ought to pray. And, and, and it actually, in chapter 6... ...it tells us that we should not be worrying. That we shouldn't be fretting over every little thing. Then we jump into chapter 7. It talks about judging. It talks about our sure foundation... But at the end of all this, the people are going to put the brakes on and they're going to marvel and they're going to say this. And this is why this is I hope we sense this when they they stopped, they looked at him and they said, we have never heard anyone speak or teach like this one. He teaches like he has authority and he does have authority. So, going on now, verse 13 where he talks about you are the salt of the earth. But if that salt has lost its savor, if it's lost its flavor, the idea there, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, be trodden under the foot of men. Now, the Greek indicates that it says that you and you alone are the salt of the earth. Of the Earth, now what what, a, what is this with salt? you know, and you, you, you can we could spend all all morning on this thought, but there's a couple things that I want to note about salt. Uh, first of all, it stings, doesn't it? You get it in a cut and, and it stings, right? Um, he He just said in the beatitude, when men revile you, when men persecute you. When, um, you know, but don't lose heart. You know, you're part of the kingdom. You will have a sense of fulfillment in your life, even when people do that. That, you know, wait, guys, why are you being reviled? And why are we being persecuted? It's because of our message. It's because of our lifestyle. To some people, our lifestyle is aroma of, according to Paul, of death. To others, you and I, when we get together, your life is like an aroma of rest and life. Sometimes we'll take in the word of God. And even in our lives personally, personally, sometimes it's sweet to the taste. And other times it's bitter and it's got this thing where it it stings. You are sometimes to people, salt. You kind of sting them. When we say things like this, there's no other way to the Father except one. There's no other mediator between man and God except the man Christ Jesus. The majority of the world don't want to hear that. In fact, you'll even see a response where people might even get angry. Even the church, they don't even want to recognize that there is a literal eternal hell because there's a sting to it. And he says to you, You are a sting. And they also used it as an antiseptic, didn't they? If they got a wound, they would dump salt in there to help the curing process, to fight off infections. And in a way, that's what you are to people in this world. When you look at somebody and look, look, I love you too much to let you leave my house without you knowing and then fill in the bank. If you don't accept Christ, you're facing eternity without him. You, even to another believer, if you follow through with this divorce, you are going to be unhappy. And then, then, then there's wounds that people carry around. But we are the salt that brings healing, a healing property to that situation. You know, to the Romans. The Romans would be given a bag of salt for their solarium, for their part of their Salary. In fact, did you ever hear the term, he's not worth his salt? How many has ever heard of that? You're not worth. That literally came back during the Roman time period where when a, when a Roman soldier didn't get his bag of salt as part of his pay, he wasn't worth his salt, so he never got it. But not only did the Romans use that salt and if they got cut in battle to help cure or heal that wound they also were given a hunk of meat they would take their salt rub their the meat in salt and it became a what? a preservative see guys the world might not like our message it might not even like how bright we shine at times but we are a light We are. can you imagine what it's going to be like like when the salt is taken when the church is finally raptured And there is no longer that salt from God on this earth. He that restrains right now, he is restraining. But when he is taking according to Thessalonians, all hell will break loose. Literally. Because the light and the salt are gone. Imagine what the world is going to be like. You know what I think? The reason why we enjoy what we enjoy today is because the church is still here on planet earth. And in a way, we are still the salt of the earth. But if that salt loses its flavor or its potency, what does that mean, Herr? Let me tell you what it means. Salt does, and I looked this up salt won't lose its saltiness. In fact, when you go to the Dead Sea, there, right to the north side of the Dead Sea, there's this long kind of a hill. It goes about seven miles and it's about two, 200 yards high. You know, and, but it's huge and it's solid salt and it's been there for thousands of years and i remember i was there with bill Gallatin and joe Foach, and with joe for some re- or bill for some re- went up and licked it joe said you just licked lots wife bro but it did, it was still salty after all this time it doesn't lose So what does he mean here? You see, back in the biblical days, they would take their salt from the Dead Sea area. Now the problem, if they got pure salt, it would never lose its power or its flavor. But if it's mixed with other minerals, it's good for nothing. And when they would get it to the temple and they found out that this isn't real pure salt. They would break it up and they would throw it into the court of the Gentiles because it was marble or slate. And when it rained, it became very slippery. They would throw it out. It was the only thing it was good for so people wouldn't slip on the marble. It was good for nothing except to be trotted under the foot of men. That was one thing they did. it. The other is they would throw it on the paths to keep things from growing on the path. It was a good way to preserve the paths for people to walk on. Now, that's what the mannerisms and customs teach about salt. So how would we lose our flavor? How would we lose? How would it be that we would be good for nothing for the kingdom of God except to be trodden under the foot of man? It's because there's other things mixed in our lives that aren't good for us. And we do lose that. So what are we talking about here? Being careful that you don't mix in other things of the world. Be careful with what you allow in your life. You know, know that you are the salt and you want to keep that pure. He also says to them, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on the hill that cannot be hid. Most commentaries, ter- ter- especially Linsky and all, they said this, that where Jesus was teaching this, you could see a city. It was called um, Slidfield. It was a city set up on a hill That at night, when they were fishing at night, if they lose their bearings, they would see just that one city. And it was pointed north and they would be able to navigate around the Sea of Galilee at night. You're the salt. You might sting sometimes, but there's healing properties in your life that will help other people to heal and to mend. You're also a light unto this world. You and you alone And people that are outside of his kingdom will be able to navigate themselves to the kingdom of God. That's why we're here. He says, you and you alone. Not the church. Not a building. That's what I mean. Not a program. Your life. Well, what is it then is salt? What is this light? You know, it's not the physical light. Jesus became the light of the world. He didn't glow. Poor in spirit is light and salt. Mourning is light and salt. Meekness is light and salt. Hungering and thirsting is light and salt. Salt. Peacemakers, light and salt. And they see that in your life. Even when men revile you and persecute you, say all manners of evil against you, light and salt, because you didn't retaliate. People are going to see that, navigate in this dark world. They're going to come, and they're going to ask you, point me to the one that's given you the mournful spirit, the the peaceful spirit, the strength to endure hostility. See, this is what what he's teaching to his disciples. He goes this in verse 15, neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel. No, they put it on a candlestick. In other words, it's like that city set up. You, you, just, you put it up so everyone can see it. It gives light to, unto all that are in the house. So let your light so shine. Who's to let their light shine, by the way? You are. You know, sometimes, let me have your attention here, it might, it might be stepping on your toes a little bit. But, you know, it's, it baffles me when I, I hear people say, God, would you let my light shine? What, what do you mean, will God let your light shine? You let it shine for crying out loud. I got to let it shine. I have a choice. Do I want to get angry or do I want to keep peace? Do I want to mourn over my sinful condition and be humble? Do I want to bless people or curse people? Do I, it's a decision that we make. Well, I don't know if I can, Daryl. I'm pretty young in the Lord. Listen, I think I was better off when it came to some of these things as I was a younger Christian than I am now. when I first was saved and I embraced the love of God and and just His presence, oh my goodness, I could love anybody. And then you grow older in the Lord and the enemy finds the chink in the armor, as it were, and he knows how to get at you through pride and through anger and then you start to lose it a little bit and you, wait a minute, I'm not as salty as I used to be. I used to be a thousand watt light bulb. Now I'm like one of those little Christmas light bulbs. Not the big ones. I'm talking about the before LEDs, you know. Where you need a thousand of them to make your Christmas tree shine, you know. Now I always, when I think of that, I, you know, is it it too late for me, Harry? I'm I'm more like pepper than I am salt. (laughs) I'm, I'm not even a watt right now, Harry, let alone a two watt bulb and Oh, yeah, I mean, that's what he was saying to the church in Ephesus, you know. Remember, return and repent. Go back and do what you used to do. Fall in love with him and, and just watch how that bulb starts to glow a little bit more. And they may talk about salt and sting. People are not going to want to be around you because you're so salty. Does that make sense, church? Listen, God didn't give you this light, by the way, to sit on it or to put it under A bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Remember those little Sunday school, this little light of mine. The kids love singing that song, especially to the part, no, I'm going to let it shine. God never, he gave us this light in order to allow it to shine and to shine and to shine bright. And I think we need to remember that. Verse 17, think not that I have come to destroy the law. I haven't come to destroy, but to fulfill it. Verily I say unto you, not... uh, unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle, not one dotting of the eye, not one crossing of the t shall in no wise pass from the law until it be fulfilled. And some would even think, well, it was fulfilled when Christ came, because he said, I haven't come to do away with it, but I have come to fulfill it. No, no, no. That doesn't mean the law is done away with, because Christ was buried and then rose again, and now he's in heaven on the right side. That doesn't mean the law is done away with. No, until heaven and earth pass away, literally that word means till it vanishes. And when we read Revelations chapter 20, 21 and 22, he is going to do that very thing. No, Paul, the apostle says, is the law evil? No, the law is good. The law we should embrace. We think of Exodus chapter 20, where he says, don't have any other gods, no other images. Love, um, you know, um, Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, Honor the Sabbath. Honor your mother and father. You don't kill. You know, you don't steal. You don't bear false witness. You don't cover your neighbor's wife. You know, those ten in a hall, they're glorious. And they're ones that we should look at and go, man, I want this in my life. See, but the problem with all this is that when the scribes and the Pharisees got a hold of it, they couldn't understand this. Why couldn't they understand? Because honestly, and I think God wants us to be honest people, tell me if there's a person in this room right now that can honestly say they love God with all their hearts, with all their mind, with all their soul. There's nothing before him. That's a hard thing to say know where what God has done for us he has put the spirit in our hearts to desire to love him with all our mind soul and strength I want to do that and there are times where I think I've got it and then the Lord shows me my need for the Holy Spirit then I'm back to praying about it. there are times where I do let something in my life that's that's taken the place I've got to re- I got to repent but to say we can keep the law no man can keep the law only one. Has even kept the Ten Commandments, only one. But see, the Pharisees and the scribes, they could not put their minds around that. So they came up with 613 other laws to help you keep the Ten. Oh, come on, that's easy to understand. Wait a minute. I can't keep the Ten. So you're going to give me 613 more to, 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 to understand the law. It's a, it's a crazy idea. Four, 248 do's, 347 don'ts, and that's going to help me. No, Jesus says no. That wasn't the purpose for the law. See, the scribes and the Pharisees, they taught you could keep them. But in reality, they were keeping man out of the kingdom of God. And he says right there, they will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who teaches outside of grace, outside of the new covenant that God has established, is literally considered the least in the kingdom and not the greater. Whosoever, he says... Therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments. And if they were honest with themselves, they would all say, "Well, we all do. And also teach men so will be called the least. Whosoever shall do them and teach them shall be called the greatest. Jesus can do that. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, he is going to show them how the scribes and the Pharisees have misrepresented the law in the next section as we go through this sermon. But unless you're you've got to remember something, guys, for them to hear this, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, this has to blow their minds. This has, They're short-circuiting right, right now. Because in their minds, the only two that could ever make it into the kingdom was the scribes and the Pharisees. Now this rabbi, this teacher, is telling us unless it exceeds that. And he's going to show them how to exceed that in the next several verses here. Again, the scribes and the Pharisees misrepresenting the law of God. Paul says, How do we not misrepresent the law of God? Knowing that the law was given to teach you and I we need a savior. It was our schoolmaster. When you read the Ten Commandments, when you look at the Talmud, when you look at the six hundred and you should just one light should go out or go on and it should just say, Hey, you can't keep this. You're in need of a savior. He says in verse twenty one, You have heard it said. ...of them of old time. Please look at that carefully. You have heard it said. You have heard it that it was said of them. It wasn't like anyone really sat down and taught them. This is something that's just been passed down. From one person to another person. It's like it's equivalent to our, our kids being raised in a in a church... Well, I heard Harris say that one time. I heard Rich say it one time. Yeah, mom and dad used to hear, harp on that. We have heard it said of even my dad, my granddad. But it was never personal to the end. It wasn't personal to them. Yeah, we have heard it said of them of old, the, our, our ancestors. Don't, don't kill. Yeah, we heard that. And literally, the Hebrew would render it, Thou shalt do no murder. It's not saying thou shalt not kill, because if, if that's the correct interpretation, we, we have a big problem, don't we? Even in the Old Testament, when God would tell the Israelites to go in there and to annihilate everyone. You know, there was rhyme and reasons for that, by the way. He's not talking, it's not um, um, a protest about capital punishment. It's not talking about a judicial kind of rules and setting for capital punishment. What he's talking about is, you're not, you're not to murder. Thou shalt not murder. That's, the, that's in the commands of God. And whoever does it, you shall be in danger of judgment. Circle the word judgment in your New Testament there. doesn't mean like the great white judgment seat of God. Kill somebody and you're going to have faiths face God. No, he's literally saying if you murder somebody, you're going to have to go to court. Just like today in our society. Now, this pattern that we're going to see. You have heard it said of them of old... And then the following verse would say, but now I say unto you. You really want to understand the commandment, I, thou shalt not murder. And there were people priding themselves on the fact that we don't murder. The Pharisees saying, we don't murder. Some of the, Maybe even some of the people that are in town, we don't murder. But Jesus said, if you really want to understand this commandment, he says, whoso is even angry at your brother. Without a cause, and a lot of your translations leave that out, doesn't it? I don't know what you're reading out of. Without a cause, you see, this is the problem. It's called textual criticism, where some Bibles will just decide to leave something out. the 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 Alexandrian script, which was to me is the most reliable manuscripts that were ever discovered, has without cause a lot of your. I think NIV, I might be mistaken, with some some of your other translations, the the New Living Translation, they won't even put that in there. And, and for me, I just, I kind of note that kind of stuff. Maybe we should do this. Okay, why is it important? Well, because it's given a message that you might not see right away, but it's a message. Let me give you an example. In the book of Revelation, we have the songs of the redeemed, Right. And it says you have, you were crucified. You have redeemed us, you know, and you know, and it puts the church in heaven, right? Singing the song of the redeem. I believe it's in the new and or the NIV another translation where it says you have redeemed them. And you go, what's the big deal? Well, if it's them, they're still down on the earth. If you redeemed us, the church is in heaven. That's a big deal to me. And to think that you you should never be angry. A very important emotion that everyone has. In fact, we taught on this a couple months ago. And Anger is a healthy emotion. Job was angry. God was angry. Jesus was angry. And to say here, if you're just angry with a brother, you're in danger of breaking the command that you're committing murder. See how bad the translations are? That's why you need to study it. But anyway, without whosoever is angry without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Okay, and so whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. What's Raka mean? Old King James, I get it. Uh, Linsky in his commentary says it means bonehead. (laughs) Whoever, a lot of us dads have murdered our kids a little bit. You know, you bonehead, why would you do that? I remember one time I called my son a bonehead. And uh, he swallowed a. Three quarters, I think it was, on a dare. And he came home, and he goes, Dad, I, I did something, and I don't want you to be mad. And I go, all right, no, more. no, we'll pray about it, son. You know, we'll get through it. What's the problem? Well, I swallowed three quarters. And I go, are you a bonehead? You know, why would you do that? Anyway, I won't tell you which son it was, but... What a bonehead. But I was in danger. Of the Sanhedrin council. That's what it means there in the middle part of verse 22. You're, you know, you'll be brought before the council of the Sanhedrin. Whosoever thou shalt, Fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, what is Jesus trying to say? He's saying there's more to this law, this command, thou shalt not murder. You know, there's more to it. He's saying this is a heart thing. You know, you're not. We're not even. that. To, 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 we look at this command and we thought, I don't even want to be angry with anyone. Lord, help me. I don't want to call anybody an idiot, anybody a fool. I don't want to, I don't want to call anybody, you know, um, uh, uh, any kind of work. In other words, he's pointing to your heart. No, what I want you to be is poor in spirit. And I want you mourning over your condition. I don't want you calling anybody a fool. I want you to be meek. I, I know you're strong, but I want you to keep that under control. You know, and then you think of the fruits of the Spirit. You think of First Corinthians chapter 13. We go, we want that. Where love is gentle, it's kind, it's peaceful. You know, we think of all these things. Yes, that's what I want. Well, where do you get that? Well, thou shalt not murder. See, it means so much more than just the command. He goes on and he says, therefore, if, if, you know, if you're angry, I want you to bring and you bring your gifts to the altar. And there you remember that thy brother has all against you. I want you to leave the gift there before the altar. I want you to go your way and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Well, that makes sense to me now. Since I understand thou shalt not murder, don't be angry, don't call anyone an idiot, don't call anyone a fool, you know. Well, if I have this issue going on with my brother or my sister, why would I want to bring my sacrifice to the altar? That's what he means there, by the way, your gift. It's in reference to bringing your your blood sacrifice to the altar to be forgiven. And listen, and I'm paraphrasing. God's saying, let me have your attention for a minute. And this might be a bitter pill. Remember, salt. Why would I forgive you if you can't forgive another person? Why would I do anything for you when you turn your back on another person? Now, he will. He will. He loves us. But why would he? If we're so angry at a brother where we just say, I'm not even going to go to church if they're there, then why would you expect God's blessing upon your life? You bring your sacrifice to the altar. It's a blood sacrifice. It's for the forgiveness of sin. And then all of a sudden you remember somebody's got a problem with you. Instead of going back and reconciling, meaning come, to, come together. It doesn't mean just saying you're sorry. You're coming together. Reconciliation. Why would we expect God to do anything for us? That's why it's so important. To make sure everything is all right before you come to church. it's to settle the issues before you come in. Husband and (laughs) wife. Joe always makes this joke that he saw a husband and wife come really going at it in the parking lot. Trying to get the kids in. You know, four kids. diaper bags are young. You get it. You get it. And then when Joe Joe saw them in the hall. How you doing? How you guys? Oh, praise the Lord, Joe. We're great. You know. I know it's human. But if you really want to come in and raise your hands. And you really want to embrace your, the Lord that loves you. And sing and worship. And, and you all of a sudden you remember there's something wrong between you and another brother. You just go make it right. This isn't Matthew 18. Where you know you, if you don't you gotta take it to an elder. That's a different teaching. Now Jesus is saying, if you really, if you really don't want to murder anyone in your heart, then go make it right. Um, verse twenty-five it says, "Agree with your adversary quickly." He says, "While thou art in the way with him, settle it, do it quickly, lest at any time the adversary delivers you to the judge, and then the judge delivers you to the officer, and then you're cast into prison." Bummer. (laughs) Verily I say to you, thou shalt by no means come out hence. You're not going to leave that situation. Listen, he's not talking about how to, you know, get out of jail free card, you know. He's talking about the heart still. It still goes back to... I don't want you to commit murder. And I don't want you to commit it in your heart. How would I do that? Well, being angry with somebody. Calling somebody an idiot. Calling somebody a fool. And if that's the case, do it right away. Don't be like this where finally somebody's going to take you to court. And on your way... He says, no, you settle it then. Because there comes a time in your life where... And, and he's using this as a metaphor. He says, when you come to a prison... Listen, when they went to prison... In this time period, there was no getting out. Well, I'll just pay my fine. You couldn't pay your fine. You had no money. You couldn't go out and worry. There's no work release. The point Jesus is making is it's really difficult to get right with that brother. And if that's the case, how are you ever going to just come and worship God, embrace his sacrifice, when if you could have just made it right back then when you had a chance? Do it now, he says. Let's just take one more. He says this. You have heard that it was said of them of old. Same kind of terminology, you know. Not directly. Somebody else told them. Even if you look on a woman, you lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Again, he's talking about violating the last commandment. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. And, and much more. I mean, Jesus is going to allude to it again about the eye and all. But he doesn't want us to be looking around with lust in the eyes. Is he saying now, we'll never do that? Gentlemen, you know, in fact, you know what they used to call the Pharisees and the scribes? Um, bumpy True, I read this this week. Because the Pharisees and scribes used to always put their heads down and walk around whenever they're in public, just in case a good-looking gal walked by. And they would always bump into things. Thus, they were called bumpy. I'm not kidding you. They would walk around with all kinds of lumps on their heads. Jesus is going to show you that's not the problem. Again, it's not looking around. That's the way God built us. He's not saying don't go around. You know, you see a tr- attractive, you know, lady, and then you're going to beat yourself up in the head with a bat. I mean, no. He says it's your heart that I'm concerned about, and it's not saying you you're, don't don't allow your heart to lust after someone else's wife. And the point that he makes is in verse 29. If your right eye offends thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. How many times have we read this? But how many times have you ever noticed to cast it away from you? You know God doesn't want you to pluck your eye out. The next week I'll come in, there's all these patches on. (laughs) What was your problem? (laughs) <laughs> the next one, if your hand offends, you cut that off too. Hey, what happened to hand? You know. And... Now, if you pluck out your right eye, guess what your left eye is going to do? Cut off your right hand. What's your left hand going to do? It's not the point he's making. You pluck out all your. <laughs> Back in when we were in the mall, um, Joe called us all together and um, said, "I got a problem. There's a guy." Um, In the church hitting up on all the young ladies. Trying to date them all. We got to do something. I said, Joe, I'll handle it. He goes, no, no, no. He didn't want me to handle it. He he goes, but there's another problem. I I said, well, what's that? He goes, he's blind. (laughs) What are you going to? Hey, dude, stop looking at our girls. (laughs) It's a condition of the heart. Isn't it? it? Anger is a condition of the heart. Lusting is a condition of the heart. So when you, you pride yourself that you don't murder, that you look, you don't look at any women, so you just keep your head down. You pride yourself. He goes, "No, I don't want that. I want you to. I want you to mourn over your spiritual condition, and I want you to be meek. I want you to hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's how you keep the real law." And I, I want you to, even if they revile you and they say all manners of evil against you, I want you to bless them and not curse them. If somebody slaps you on the cheek and we're going to deal, deal with that in a couple of weeks, I want you to turn the other cheek. If one of these Roman soldiers compel you to walk a mile, do two miles with them. Let me tell you something. You want to be a light to the world and salt to the world and you and you alone? That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Listen. Just yesterday, or maybe it was the day before. There's a guy walking past the church. Got a cane, limping, pretty bad. So I'm driving by. I'm going up to CVS to get a script. And I thought, why not? not..." I pulled over, I rolled down my window, and he looks at me like I have three heads. Why is this guy stopping? I said, buddy, you need a ride? And he's just staring at me. He goes, I don't have that far to walk. Then I don't have that far to drive. Come on, get in. He gets in the car, and you would have thought I was an alien. He just couldn't believe it. And I only had to take him to the end of Georgia, which is just across the street here. But the the witness, to be able to tell him, hey, he goes, I can't believe you picked me up. I said, Jesus would have? And the guy looking, he goes, I guess he would (laughs) have. So now I have a new friend down the end of the street. didn't take much did it it doesn't take much to be light and it doesn't take much to be salt try to do it by the letter of the law you'll get burned out it's just what god's put into our hearts amen guys let's stand together so don't pluck out your eyes i don't want you to cut off your fingers But I do, I do want to challenge us guys. Two areas before we close. I think that the Christian life can be the most exciting life ever. I really do. We, We get to do things for him that I don't say this pridefully, but we get to do things for him that the world could only dream doing. If God opens the doors, we can travel the world for him. If God opens the doors, we get to teach Bible studies to people. If the Lord opens the doors, we could be Sunday school teachers and we can love only unlovable people. Like our team last year went to a leper colony and sat with a bunch of kids that had leprosy. We get to do that. Because we're the light of the world. How bright is your light today? How salty are you? I mean, I... Can I ask you a question? stupid question. How many of you guys love salt? Would you raise your hand? See, I'm not the only one. I'm telling you, when my heart feels like it's starting to speed up, I slow it down by just eating salt. No, I'm just saying that's God loves salt. God loves us to be salty. He loves us to be lights. We're not to put a bushel over it. And I don't know what that bushel is today. Some people will say, well, it's because I've had a hard life. And listen, I get that. Some people will say, well, you don't understand, Harry, man, what, what I've gone through. I get that, but I know he can take the old things and make them like they're new. I know he says, forgetting that which is behind and press forward. I know if any man puts his hands to the plow, we just need to keep moving. Those old things and our past experiences are back there. But if they're in front of us where we're holding on to them, then we're putting a bushel over our light. I won't hide it under a bushel. No, No. I'm going to let it shine. You know, we always have the prayer team up here. Come up. Pray with someone. Put that thing before the Lord. Whatever's putting out that light. Or whatever's mingling in with your salt. Pray about it. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is where it begins. This is where you embrace the light. This is where you become salt for the kingdom of God. And again, it's simply by asking Him into your life. Come down. Find someone on the prayer team. You'll know who they are when you get up here. Let's worship together.
1: Prayer team, make your way up, please. We know there's more than this. We know there's more than this. Oh, breath of God. Come breathe within. We know there's more than this. Spirit of God, we wait for you. Fill us.
0: that you would have your way with us, that you would throughout the week continue to fill us, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, whatever we're hanging on to, whatever is causing our light to dim, whatever we've allowed to commingle with the light or the salt, we lay that at your feet this morning, God. Lord, you said that the old things have passed away. This day could be like a brand new day with you. I pray, God, as we pray over this, as we just think about this word, this light of ours will let it shine. We won't let Satan puff it out. We won't put it under a bushel. No, God, we're going to let it shine for all to see a city set on a hill. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would grant unto us our heart's desire. And that would be that Jesus is high and lifted up in our lives. In all that we say and in all that we do, it's in your name we pray and everyone said together. Amen. Let's worship one more time.